Spring Street. a bandana and wiped her forehead, and the guests of Higgins' dude ranch watched her admiringly from a distance and told themselves that the old gal certainly kept in character. But Ma Higgins didn't keep in character. She was a character. She stood staring at a thin cloud of dust on the horizon line, which was rapidly becoming less thin. The girl who had phoned the night before was due any minute. Ma spoke aloud, as she often did when she was alone. Why the heck did she sound so frightened? She talked kind of whispy as if she couldn't hardly get her breath. She didn't buckle down none when I told her my rates. Hey, Charlie! Charlie, come here! You you wanted me? Say, you was in the room with me when I took that call last night, wasn't you? That's a lie. I was a light beside you, Ma. What did I tell you about the girl phone? You said she sounded frightened. Like she was scared to death. That's the way she sounded. Well, won't be long now. Station wagon's most in sight. Station wagon is in sight. Correction sustained, boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Penny's eater will soon have the lowdown. Nobody can fool me. Not often and not more than once. Oh, that is for sure. Nobody fool you, Ma. You very hot stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know when I've been so curious about a guest. Well, station wagon stopped. And a girl getting out. Helped by a bot. Why isn't Bart picking up her satchel? Maybe she got no satchel, Ma. Well, I'll be a so-and-so. You're right. She hasn't even got one satchel. Well, what's the answer to that? Oh, my God, you're going to you make her pay in advance. Think you can teach me the dude ranch and business, Charlie? Oh, oh, oh. Well, anybody teach you business, Martin. <laughs> That'll be the day, Charlie. Say, she's a pretty little thing. Not the red hair, nice figure. Them wolves down by the corral are going to have their eyes drop out. And get the kinks in their necks to boot. <laughs> oh, you know, she looked like she coming from Broadway show. She got the, how you call it, uh... Oh, the, oh, what's her name, Ma? Well, didn't rightly catch it. But I'll know before long. Welcome to Higgins Ranch, Miss. Thank you very much. You, you're Mrs. Higgins? Sure am. Where's your satchel? Satchel? Suitcases, bags, valises, luggage, if you're from England. Well, I, I didn't bring anything. I didn't have time to to pack an overnight case, let alone a suitcase. But I've got plenty of money with me. Well, that's something. <laughs> I uh, usually judge folks by other ways than a bankroll, though. Don't I, Charlie? That's your light, Ma. I can tell from the way folks look whether or not I cotton to them. Girl's eyes, for instance. They tell me if she's honest or a crook or... Oh, please, Mrs. Higgins. Please cotton to me. I'm, I'm desperate. I need a place to stay, a safe place, and someone who'll take care of me. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first, 
Not long ago, a United States Army major from New York State showed the forgotten people of Korea, 45,000 shunned and outcast lepers, that somebody still cared and remembered them. Major Frank Jaworski began by collecting nearly $30,000 in food, bedding, and clothing for the needy lepers and their children. He learned of the lepers' plight from Catholic missionaries in South Korea, and then began an amazing one-man campaign to help them. The major collected woolen jackets, sleeping bags, and any other equipment he could scrape up. Then, during the Christmas season, he asked the men of his unit, Headquarters Detachment 8th Army Special Troops, to contribute whatever they could for the afflicted children. The response was tremendous, showing the true American spirit of sharing and giving to those less fortunate. Before the men were finished giving, Major Jaworski found himself with 700 packages, each worth $5 of food and clothing for the lepers' children. With the windfall created by his men's generosity, the Major continued to give many of the packages to Korea's unregistered lepers, of whom there were an estimated 25,000 living in caves and under bridges. Yes, the Major had an axe to grind. He believed that in spite of race, color, creed, or disease, people are worth living for, working for, and sharing with. And he certainly accomplished a lion's share in upholding this belief. Through his unselfish act, he gave us all a thought to remember. We are Americans. As we go, so goes America. Back to our story with Betty Davis. The girl's eyes. They were an odd, smoky violet, were filling with tears. Her lips were quivering. Ma Higgins stood hesitant. Then suddenly her hard features melted. And her voice was a bit husky when she spoke. Well, you've come to the right place, honey. You'll be safe here. And I'm just the one to take care of you, too. I'll show you to your room personal and you can tell me the whole story. I'm so relieved, so terribly relieved. I can't remember my mother. She died when I was a little thing. Well, maybe. I've heard that people out here call you Ma. I'd like to call you Ma. There, there, dear, of course. Charlie! Don't stand grinning like a great lump of saffron. Now you beat it. And that goes for you too, Bart. Just follow me, dearie, and stop crying. Everything's going to be all right. Ma Higgins took her newest guest to the best room in the ranch house. It was next to her own room. She flung herself into a sturdy chair. All of the chairs on the ranch were sturdy. And the girl curled up on the big bed. Well, shoot. Tell me the works. First of all, your name. I didn't catch it last night over the phone. Well, I'm Dale Thornley, and I might as well tell you the whole story. I'm an orphan, and, well, I'm a little too wealthy for my own good. And I'm just past 18, so I'm of age, and I should be allowed to do as I wish. But, but I have a guardian, and he... He wants to hide me away somewhere so that he can keep control of my money. Well, for crying out loud. Sounds just like a storybook, honey. It sounds like a very tragic storybook. I've always been loved because of my money or hated because of it. And now, oh, Ma, all I want out of life is a cottage and some good, kind man to love and protect me. I want to live the way a girl in humble circumstances would live. A cottage and 
children. Why, you poor, pretty little critter. I'm beginning to get the drift, all right. That's why you haven't any satchels with you. You've run away. That's why there wasn't time to pack. Yes, Ma. If... If my guardian follows me here, he may use any trick to drag me back to the east. Any ruse. He's... He's diabolically clever. Why, he might even say he's my father. And that he's trying to keep me from making some stupid mistake like eloping with somebody. Why, that rat. The varmint. He's all of those and then some. Ma Higgins, you'll stand between me and, and my guardian, won't you? You're darn tootin' I will. Your troubles are over now, honey. Don't you worry a hoot about anything from now on. away the rest of the morning, ignoring the covert glances of Charlie, the cook, and Bart, the hand, who had driven Dale from the airport. Bart had to make another trip that afternoon. He brought out two angular spinsters and the handsomest young man Ma had ever seen. She narrowed her eyes as she studied his face with its regular features and thick, glossy hair. She went into Dale's room. The girl had been sleeping all day and the sleep of exhaustion to wake her for dinner. Call me an old fool if you want to, Dale, but there's a dream man in the living room waiting for his vittles for the rest of the boarders. What do you mean, Ma? His name's Noel Have, and he looks like an actor, but he says he does something on Wall Street, New York City. <laughs> Say, if you and him got together, you'd be the handsomest couple in the world. <laughs> you... <laughs> you matchmaker. Maybe so, but I've been thinking things out all day, and I've come to a decision. Easiest way to get you out of your guardian's hands, honey, is to put you into other hands. Hands of some good, kind man like, like you was talking about. Soon as you have a husband, there won't be any problem at all. You're wonderful, Ma. Simply wonderful. It's the idea of the century. Well, darn good. <laughs> I took it on myself to ask this uh, Noel have if he was married, and he said no. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, is... You're Mr. Have as handsome as the young man who drove me out from the airport? I mean, Bart? Well, now Bart Collins, he's a good-looking fellow. There's all the difference between him and Mr. Have that there is between a, a stretch of prairie covered with sagebrush and one of them estates with the hedges clipped and the lawns cut. <laughs> <laughs> You're priceless, my Higgins, simply priceless. Well, lead me to Mr. Have of Wall Street. That's just what I was thinking. Um, Bert told me on the way up to the house that he gives riding lessons. Will it be all right if I take a few? Well, it'll be better than all right. The exercise will do your world of good, to say nothing of the fresh air and sunshine. You look as if you were starved out for fresh air and sunshine. Ma herself performed the introduction between Dale Thornley and Noel have. She saw the warmth that leaped into the young man's eyes. She was pleasantly aware of the color that crept under the girl's transparent skin. They went out onto the broad veranda after dinner, and when from a distance Ma heard a guitar strumming, it was Bart down by the bunkhouse, and he played a mean guitar. She was glad of the romantic undercurrent. But Dale came in sooner than Ma expected. She crossed the room swiftly. He's sweet, Ma. 
And so are you. Oh, shocked. Nobody ever said I was sweet before. I'd, uh, I'd like to kiss you goodnight, Ma. Well, not here. The whole ranch will be kidding the pants off me. I ain't the kissing type, Dale. Oh, you deserve to be kissed. Good night. Good night, darling. Sweet dreams. <laughs> her riding lessons the next morning, very early, before the other guests were up. Ma stood on the porch and watched her cantering off with Bart. This was no novice, but she was unaccustomed to a western saddle. Ma was turning to go into the house when a voice sounded from beside her. Oh, Mrs. Higgins. Oh, yes, Mr. Hal. When I came past Miss Thornley's door, well, uh, it was standing wide open and the maid was making her bed, but I can't find her anywhere. Oh, well, she's taking riding lessons with Bart Collins. Bart Collins. No. Uh, the fellow who plays cowboy songs on the guitar? That's right. I see. Well, Dale, <laughs> Miss Thornley didn't say anything about a writing lesson. Ooh, I could have slipped her mind. After all, you and her have only just met, you know. She don't, she don't owe you any explanation. Well, that's what... No, she doesn't owe me any explanation. No. Did she tell you about her guardian? Yeah, first thing. I'm sort of surprised she told you. Oh, she was alerting me to a possible danger, Mrs. Higgins. That's all. Time went on, a week of time. Dale was taking a great many riding lessons. But she spent quite a bit of time with Noel Hive, too. Somehow Ma didn't like him as much as she had at first sight. Despite his smooth, good looks, she didn't quite cotton to Noel. But she cottoned more and more to Dale. And then one afternoon when the week was up and Dale was in her room and Ma and Noel were together on the veranda, a huge car raced down the road and stopped in front of the ranch house and Noel made a quick exclamation and stepped back into the living room. Ma followed. What is it, Mr. Have You know that feller? I don't know him. I recognized him from a picture Dale... A picture Miss Thornley showed me. Dale never showed me any picture of a living soul. Mr. Hebb, you don't mean But I do. It's her guardian. How in heaven's name he found her out here in Colorado. Easy enough to trace Dale. Everybody'd notice a girl like her. And if big city detectives started asking questions... Take her out the back way, Mr. Hebb. Soon as this guardian comes through the front door and run down to the corral and get Bart to guide you to the roundup cabin in the mountains. Must the Collins fellow come along? You're a tenderfoot. You couldn't find the place by yourself. Wait there till I send word that the coast is clear. You'll be okay. There's spring water and plenty of beans. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. Do you know how important a single vote can be? Let me give you an example. In 1843, the Oregon Territory was claimed by both the American government and the British. But the American trappers in the territory drew up a declaration and code of laws for government by the United States alone. When they were presented to a meeting of the American and Canadian trappers, the feelings of the Canadians were divided. So it was decided to put the declaration to a vote. When the votes were taken, 50 favored the United States and 50 were for English rule. Then it was discovered that two French-Canadian trappers hadn't voted. 
The first one quickly voted for an American government. But the second man couldn't make up his mind. Finally, he voted for an American government, too. So, by a single vote, the Oregon Territory came under the sole government of the United States. And another page was added to your political history. Back to our story with Betty Davis. Ma stood in the doorway of the house as Noel hurried toward the back. When the stranger, a tall man with iron gray hair and keen eyes, started up the veranda steps, she advanced to meet him. Well, what do you want? My name's Evan Hawthorne, and I have reason to believe that my daughter's staying at your ranch. Her name is Dallas Hawthorne. Your daughter? That's a good one. I wasn't born yesterday. You don't pull the wool over my eyes. I'm not trying to pull any wool. Now, go inside. If you're a mind to, but don't see as it'll do you any good. Thank you. Now, uh, may I sit down? Why not? After you. Oh, you needn't be so blame polite. Now, let's you and me get down to brass tacks. This girl, you say, is your daughter. Sure you ain't her guardian? Perfectly sure. Well, I was told you'd say just that. By Dale herself. That's her name, Dale Thornley, not Dallas Hawthorne. You're her guardian, and you're trying to lock her up and make use of her money. But you've got a fat chance. Now, look, it's don't the... be an idiot. Dallas is my daughter. The name Dallas Dale Thornley is fictitious. She ran away to meet a little worm of a movie extra. She was planning to hide out with him until her 18th birthday, which is today. Today she can marry him. And I'm dead set against this match. He's a cheap little fortune hunter. Well, she was clever, I'll grant her that. Kept doubling on her tracks. It took me a week almost to catch her. Well, I... I don't believe a word you're saying. Oh, of course you don't. I can see just what's happened. She's charmed you, cuddling up to you and... Mrs. Higgins. Oh, so you've the nerve to face me, Have? Well, I give you that much credit. Where's Dallas? Shut up, Mr. Hawthorne. Mrs. Higgins, she isn't in her room. Yes, but she... And there was a note on the pillow addressed to you. Now, for the love of Pete, open it up and read it. Blank-faced and incredulous, Ma Higgins ripped open the envelope. She read the few lines that were written on a single sheet of paper. She lifted her eyes and stared blankly, first at the furious older man, then at the equally furious younger man. Well, where's my daughter? Mr. Hale, is he telling the truth? Is Dale really his daughter? Yes, of course. She's Dallas Hawthorne. Where is she? Well, she's eloped with Bart Collins. Bart Collins? Who in the name of common sense is Bart Collins? He's a cheap cowboy. He's a servant on this ranch. He tends the horses and drives the station. Now, you wait a minute, Mr. Ham. Bart's no servant. My hired hands are the most important part of my ranch. They keep things going. No background. And as far as background... Bart went to State University, and he's about paid off on the spread that adjoins this one to the north. Spread? Ranch to you, Tenderfoot. You're going to have a fine son-in-law, Mr. Hawthorne, before sundown. If your state don't require no waiting time. It's a lousy state. When you say that, mister, you smile. Here's the best state in the Union. And on top of that, it's my state where I was born and raised. And, and if... for you, Mr. Hawthorne, well, your daughter's a cheap little two-timer. Why, you were. You better go in and pack your dozen, Mr. Hale, and I'll send you to the depot. I don't want no bloodshed on my ranch. And unless you get going, there's going to be plenty of it. Your blood. Oh, yeah? When Bart hears you 
call his wife a cheap little two-timer, he'll... He'll stop, get a death. Okay, Mrs. Higgins, you don't have to threaten me. I wouldn't stay here one second longer than necessary if my life depended on it. Well, your life does depend on it. Now you get going, mister. That's right. Good riddance. That, that cheap actor. That's that. Yeah, that's that. Might have been much worse, Mrs. Higgins. Dallas might have married him. At least I won't have a two-bit actor for a son-in-law. Uh, maybe you won't have a a two-bit actor, Mr. Hawthorne, but, uh... <laughs> there was a postscript to your girl's letter. She said her and Bart were going to Hollywood for their honeymoon. Seems a talent scout saw Bart when he was in last month's rodeo. Asked him to come out for screen test with all expenses paid. Good heavens. Charlie! Hey, Charlie! Charlie's the cook, Mr. Hawthorne. Best blamed cook in Colorado. Charlie! I want you! Oh, lie, oh, lie, oh, lie. Miss him off. Did you say, uh, not long ago that nobody could fool me? Yes, Mo. <laughs> I packed Mr. Dale and Bart lunch so they would not get hungry on their way to Pleacher. that Ma Higgins doesn't always win. But maybe she has won at that. For she's gained a delightful neighbor. I think that Evan Hawthorne was pleased with his daughter's choice. But I don't think he was quite so pleased when he went back to an eastern city to a lonely home and a lonely life. What happens to a middle-aged widower when he's suddenly left entirely alone into his own devices? Is such a man prey to every designing woman? Well, I'll answer the question for you when I bring you Evan Hawthorne's story. Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the Whispering Street. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were June Foray, Charlie Lung, Marlene Ames, and Lester Fletcher. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley. Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.